Well, I want to invite you to turn in Proverbs to 14, chapter 14, and then uh, just be prepared to turn to chapter 27. So not, not a single page turned this afternoon, but instead two short passages, Proverbs 14.30 and Proverbs 27.4. Let's stand as we read both of these in recognition that this is the Lord's holy and inspired word. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And then 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel, anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Let's pray once more. Lord, as we now turn to Your Word, and as we have heard these two passages from Solomon, and as we continue to hear more from Your Word, help us to listen well, help us to apply well what we hear, and Lord, help us to love Your Word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Envy and jealousy, they form a two-headed monster that can bring destruction and division to relationships, communities, and even churches. In Proverbs 14, Solomon describes envy as rotting the bones. And probably the best personal illustration that I can think of is that years ago we had a refrigerator stocked with several months worth of meat in an outdoor garage that was being rewired and the electrician had unplugged the refrigerator and had neglected to plug it back in and you can imagine what happened a week or so later when Wendy went out to get some meat from the refrigerator for dinner she opened the door and was horrified to have maggots literally pour out of the refrigerator. Yes, gross. And that's the image that comes to my mind when I think of rotting the bones. It's, it's a damage that is being done internally and we don't even realize it. And it may be a while before anyone sees the damage and the evidence of that rot. Well, switching over for a moment to our other passage, to Proverbs 27.4, Solomon says that jealousy is a force more fierce than anger or wrath. And now we know what it's like to face someone with, that's angry. We, we cringe and we shrink in the front of that red face and the loud words and the shaking fist and furious Anger can invoke terror in the wake of what seems like the loss of, of self-control. We have no idea what a person in that state is going to do. Well, Solomon says that, that anger and wrath, they're overwhelming, yes. But who can stand against the crushing tide, the tidal wave of jealousy? And if these two, envy and jealousy, are, are so serious that one rots the bones and the other crushes whoever is in its path, it's important that we talk about them as Solomon brings them up. So I want to first try to define envy, which in the Hebrew is the word kana. We see it 
many times in the Old Testament, but perhaps the most dramatic example is in Genesis 37. That's where Joseph's brothers are said to have envied him because he was shown preferential treatment. He was given the special cloak. He was given the special love of the Father. And what that did is it just brought this seething envy and anger in his brothers. In the New Testament, in fact, the Greek word zealos means to boil. That's translated into envy. And I, I think that's a great picture. In, in Acts 13.45, the Jews in Antioch are said to have been boiling or envious is how it's translated of Paul and Barnabas because multitudes were following them. And so we see that envy is this inner seething. It's a boiling of discontentment because someone has something that you want or is able to do something that you can't do, that you want to do for yourself. Do you struggle with the constant temptation to evaluate other people's lives and families and circumstances with envy? Perhaps you have looked at other families and thought, or individuals and thought they sure have their act together why don't i they have money to go on nice vacations buy an expensive home they purchase anything that they want they have obedient kids who listen to them when they talk and don't cause a problem wherever they go they have what looks like a romantic marriage and seem to enjoy each other and we find ourselves saying they or he or she a lot is that ever a problem for you some of the best examples of envy are found in the bible consider gehazi the servant of elisha god had used gehazi's master elisha to heal naaman the commander of the syrian army naaman begged elisha to accept payment but Elisha refused because he wanted it clearly understood that it is the Lord that brought Elisha benefit and, and blessed his life. And so Naaman walks off. But perhaps we're surprised by the rest of the story in that Gehazi, Elisha's servant, goes out on his own. He catches up to Naaman. He speaks a lie saying, my master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons... I mean, look at how elaborate that, pro- that lie is. Just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim saying, please give me a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman now says, of course, I I always plan to pay, right? It was a transaction. It wasn't the Lord showing mercy. It was a transaction. I always plan to pay. And I have the ability to pay. Right? That's what Elisha wanted to avoid, but Gehazi sidesteps it. And so Naaman urges him and, and sends with him two talents of silver instead. Two changes of garments. Now does Gehazi return embarrassed to have gone against his master, but hopeful that Elisha will have a change of heart and, and be thankful that Gehazi went when he was unwilling to, to, to name a price to Naaman? No, the story says Gehazi went and stored everything in his house just like the fool Achan had done at Jericho, right? According to the book of Joshua, when he disobeyed God, when they battled against the city and took it, God had said everything there is to be put under destruction. But Achan desires, envies things for himself, and so 
He takes these things out of Jericho and hides them in the bottom of his tent, just like Gehazi does with these two talents of silver. And when we think of the seething, boiling nature of envy, can you envision Gehazi watching Naaman leave? And what's, what's going through his mind? He's, he's watching this man frustrated that his master wasn't properly recognized with payment. Elisha did something that was worth something. We have bills to pay. You know, not unlike somebody else who, like Judas, right, who betrayed Jesus. What are you doing giving away all this money? Well, that's what Gehazi's thinking, perhaps. Irritated with a pagan general that he should be healed by the God of Israel and be able to walk away without it costing him his wealth. And you can just, you can see that seething envy boiling inside of Gehazi. And what's happened after all of the boiling, you know, when, when the water boils, what distills down into the bottom of the pot? Well, what is it for Gehazi? What's left? What's left is a rotten plan. What's left is if Elijah won't take it, not I'll get it for him. It's if Elijah won't take it, I will take it. And I'm willing to lie to make it happen. And so when Gehazi returns to Elisha, the prophet asks him where he's gone, and Gehazi has to now compound his lies. Your servant didn't go anywhere. <laughs> now, I don't know if you read that story and you go, Gehazi, come on. You've been walking alongside of Elisha long enough to know that he's got special insight, right? He's not asking you the question because he doesn't know the answer to the question. You know, this is the moment to come clean. I didn't go anywhere, but, but you've got to compound your lies if you're putting yourself into this type of situation. Elisha says to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? No, you've missed the bigger point. You've missed the bigger point of God's gracious provisions. What Paul Tripp had at the very beginning of the service on that, that statement at the beginning. God's grace who provides us everything. You've missed the point, Gehazi. It's not the time to receive all of these things as if it's us and we're doing a transaction, we're being paid. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous. Now, Gehazi's story is tragic, but it's not unlike others in Scripture who would have guessed that Gehazi, who faithfully served Elisha, would entertain these private internal thoughts of envy. Nothing external sounded the alarm, but when the test came, the once trapped servant was trapped by another master. And what about King David's general Joab? A lifelong friend, a man of military might. He was expected to die a famous warrior, but he dies in dishonor, buried under a hut in the Judean desert rather than in the royal cemetery. Why? Because Joab is enticed by the offer of Adonijah, King David's older son, constantly being thought to take the better road for himself and for his family rather than God's revealed will. To serve as commander if the son could kill his father and take the throne. Joab felt that a more profitable future lay with David's son Adonijah rather than follow God's direction. 
And what about Lot, the nephew of Abraham, who when given the chance of territory to settle in, the Bible says that he lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. And so, the, so Lot said, you know what, Uncle Abraham? Not only are you older, but God called you. That This seems like the, the spot for you to go. No, that's not what he says. What does he say? Oh, I'll take that spot. That's the best spot. <laughs> you, you go find a different spot. And the result is that Lot dwells in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what ties these three and many others together is this sin of envy, which I believe is a soul-killing, bones-rotting dissatisfaction with what God has provided in the timing that He has ordained. It's, it's a deception that we don't think we have what we think we need. And that word need, boy, that's such a powerful word. At its most basic, a need is something that is essential to the fulfillment of God's plan for our life. It may be something as simple as the basics of food and water or shelter. It may be education or training that is required for a person to fulfill God's plan and purpose. It may be a sense of direction so that we'll know more fully what God desires for us. It may, in fact, be a financial need to meet basic expenses that are associated with work and family and life that God has provided. There wouldn't be a problem if those were the only things that we thought were needs. But when we envy others, our desires become so powerful that they become mistaken for needs. I'll give you an example. A person sees something. It catches his interest. He says, now that's something I would really like to have for myself. And then he begins to justify the purchase of that item with reasoning like, well, I don't do this or that or that. I've been frugal. I don't really have any significant vices in my life. And after all, the Lord... He does say that we can have some enjoyment, right? So pretty soon, even though this man can't afford the item, he goes ahead, he puts it, the purchase onto a credit card, ends up in debt, certainly not something that God desires for us. And then what happens? Over time, he might have increasing difficulty paying that minimum payment for the credit card. And when the struggle gets intense enough, well, then he goes to Philippians 4.19. And he says to God, your word says you will supply every need. So Lord, you see my financial need that I have. I'm struggling and I can't make these basic payments. I need your help. And if you think about it, you notice that the desire which created the debt has now created what the person believes to be a true need, the need to get out of debt. And how many times have we put ourselves in these types of precarious situations, particularly in the realm of finances, but it could be other areas, and then we begin to call on God to rescue us out of it. Right? The problem is the envy and the disobedience that creates the situation. And friends, God is never obligated to meet a desire that we turn into a need. Now, Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations 3.21, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul describes an envious person as one who has been robbed of truth. The world has stolen the truth from him. In fact, Paul's comment in its entirety is there is constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now the word envy, you probably noticed, is not in that verse, but the reality is that is what this, that passage is all about. When Paul says that some are treating godliness as a means of gain, he comments that true true gain, the one that is of lasting value, is godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. And that gives us a, a clear definition of envy. To envy is not only to desire something to the extent that you consider it a need, It is to desire something so much that you lose your satisfaction in God. And that's important because envy destroys your very capacity to appreciate God's willingness to daily meet your needs and wait upon His timing. It destroys, I would say, your opportunity for joy. Any of you have first-hand knowledge of what I'm describing? Have you at times, maybe even right now, found yourself depressed and discouraged because deep down you are struggling with envy and you just are not content, are not satisfied with what the Lord has provided in this timing? The good news is that Philippians 4 does say, my God shall apply all your needs. But remember that it is all your needs, every legitimate need. The very reason that God came in the form of human flesh was to meet your most basic need, the need of salvation. But more than that, Jesus said in John 10.10 that He came in order that you might have abundant life. Life overflowing with the good things of God. And that ministry does not end with the cross, we're told in Hebrews, that Jesus continues to act as our mediator. He sits at the Father's right hand. He brings our needs to the Father. The Holy Spirit communicates our needs before the two of them. Some of, some of those needs are ones that we expressly bring to Jesus in prayer and lay at His feet. And some of those are needs of which we aren't even aware. There's no request or intercession that, that Jesus does not answer in one way or another. God hears your prayers if you are His child. So please listen to this. I said earlier that envy is a discontentment in what God has provided and in the timing that He has provided. And that discontentment is a lack of faith given the fact that like I just said, Christ is interceding for you every day for your true needs. And God has promised to provide everything that you need. need. So hold that thought. Keep it there, the thought that at the root of envy is a lack of faith, and that Christ is interceding for you daily and provides exactly what you need. We'll come back to that, but first I want to talk about jealousy, which closely is related to envy, but it's different in an an important way. Whereas envy covets, 
what it doesn't have and then resents people and situations because of it. Jealousy is provoked when there is a fear that something that actually belongs to us might be given or taken by someone else. Think of envy as pictured by empty hands that are reaching out to grab what they don't possess, like Gehazi going after, give me that silver. Versus jealousy that is better pictured as full hands, closed arms, trying to hold on to something that they might lose. And often envy and jealousy exist in the same person at the same time. I think of, for example, King Saul and, and young David. After David killed Goliath and the Philistine army was routed, the Israelites came back saying, Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And as Saul hears that, he's both envious that David is receiving greater praise, but at the same time, he's also just, what, well, what about the loyalty that I have for the people? It's beginning to melt away from me. I'm losing this, and it's being given over to David. And we know what happens as a result. Time after time, Saul seeks to kill David. David would not have been able to stand, as Proverbs 27.4 says, against Saul's jealousy were it not for God's provision. And I want to acknowledge that the Bible does describe a time and a place for jealousy. Exodus 34.14 says that one of the names of God is jealous. And to say that God is jealous is to say that He is, he is zealous to protect that which belongs to Him alone, which is His glory. And he will not let his creation, for example, worship false gods. But when we look at the jealousy of men and women, we usually find that their zeal is protective of self-centered interests and their own glory. And I'll just say this, we are safest when our jealousy arises out of a zeal for God's glory. That's when we are safest when it comes to jealousy. Jesus, for example, is described as having been jealous for God's honor in the temple and overchanging the money changers' tables. Hezekiah is said to be jealous for God when he smashed the sacred pillars and poles of Asherah in 2 Kings 18. Jehoiada is jealous for God when he tears down the altars of Baal in 2 Kings 11. And Josiah, the young king, is jealous for God when he removes all the high places in Israel in 2 Kings 23. God actually desires that you would be jealous for Him. One of the people that He praises most highly in the Old Testament is Phineas. You may not remember Phineas. But he's the son of Aaron, and, and he's one of those few people willing to take action when an Israelite man rebels against God and marries a Midianite woman who begins to, to lead him after false gods and idolatry. And he goes out, Phineas does, and executes these two. God says that action actually atoned for the sins of the people and stopped a plague and saved many lives. So God wants us to be jealous for Him, but is that, if we're jealous, if you're jealous, is that usually describing you? Are you zealous for God's glory and holy name? Probably not very often. 
fact, worse, probably most of the time, jealousy is springing out of a fear or a belief that God is actually unwilling to or unable to meet your needs. Typically, something that you have, often a relationship has, relay, has replaced God. It's become an idol in your life. And you fear that you will lose that relationship. You'll find yourself thinking, saying, doing things that you would never have imagined coming from you. You'll know that that jealousy is not of God when you find yourself in irrational, jealous rages. Where you aren't turning to the Lord for prayer and asking Him how to respond in a godly way. Because those are the times when the monster of jealousy has taken you over and love has left the room. When you say hateful and hurtful things and and jealousy moves to destroy both the thing that is yours and the one that would take that thing away. No wonder Solomon says, who can stand in the face of jealousy? James writes in James 3.14 that jealousy often springs out of selfish ambition. That would be the jealousy of Saul, for example, or, or of King Herod, for example, who was willing to put to death all the young boys of Bethlehem rather than be challenged as king. One author writes, like an anger-blind, half-starved rat prowling in the foul-smelling sewer beneath street level, so is the person caged within the suffocating radius of selfish jealousy. Trapped by resentment, he feeds on the filth of his own imagination. That's quite, <laughs> quite the image there in that illustration. That does not sound like God's jealousy. Resentful, bitter, angry, suspicious, morbidly curious, feeding on imagination, fabricating false realities. That is not reflective of God. When we are jealous, the deepest desires of our hearts are amplified to show us what is it that we're really treasuring? What is it that we really are trusting? And what is it that we fear? When David in Psalm 42 asks why his soul is downcast, he doesn't start lashing out at people in irrational rages. Instead, he writes, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and and from Mount Mazar. In other words, everywhere I went, I keep turning to you who has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. I turn to the one who can help me sort out my natural tendency to turn speculation into reality or to turn introspective and, and to grow angry with jealousy. The Lord is my helper, he says. I will not fear, for what can man do to me? And you say, well, man can do a lot to me. Woman can do a lot to me. That's true. But in the grand scheme of things, our fears that a a man or a woman or anything can do something lasting to us are unfounded. For the Lord is our helper. When someone betrays us or does something to us that incites jealousy, God still says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And that sounds like the same answer to envy, that God has promised to give us what we need. And He has promised us security even when we lose the things that we have. The irony is this, friends. When you are safely and securely in that understanding, I guarantee you, you handle all of your situations better. All of them. The solution to envy and jealousy is to learn how to be content and to believe that your security is with God. Are you struggling with envy or jealousy? God wants you to recognize, acknowledge, and confess that need. He wants you to acknowledge you can't solve your problems. But He can. In fact, that's one of His names. El Shaddai. God, our provider. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The question is, have you been trying that? Have you been doing that? Especially when you feel yourself under the onslaught of envy or jealousy. Whatever things you ask in my name, Jesus says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. But ask, and you'll receive that your joy may be full. But realize that that asking cannot be done with the, the selfish heart that's, that's wrapped around the idol of someone or something else and is wanting those needs, that the, the desires that we have turned into needs and has created this monster of something. That is not God. God wants us to turn to Him and ask. Ask for joy. Ask for patience. Ask for long-suffering. Ask for contentment. Ask for security. No motive is hidden from God. Realize that just asking with right words or an externally pious attitude isn't enough either. You must truly desire the things of God for His glory and your good. Jesus says in Matthew 6.19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know that passage. You've heard it many times. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. And so what does God prohibit when He says not to lay up treasure on earth? He's simply saying, that the issue is not really even possessions, but it's, it's what we desire, it's what we value. Scripture does not condemn owning possessions. What it does is it prescribes what to do with them. To live for God's kingdom as a steward of what He has given us. It doesn't even condemn the enjoyment of physical things that we own. As a matter of fact, we're told in 1 Timothy 6.17 that God gives us all things that we have to enjoy. But Paul is good to also say that he learns to be content in all circumstances. There were times when Paul had much, and there were times when he didn't have a lot. And he lived to... In prosperity, in Philippians 4.11, he says, I've learned to be content in, in times of prosperity and in times of humble means. Either one. What Jesus is saying is that the desire to accumulate the, this self 
exalting idolatrous desire that we have to follow the American dream of of acquire and gain and grow and influence and all of the things that are part of being that self-made pioneer that he doesn't want us to have the attitude that makes us that independent king sitting on a mountain He wants us to have the attitude, as I said, that is a steward of His kingdom. It's an ambassador of His throne. That is recognizing that everything that we have is given to us by God and is meant to be enjoyed for His good name. So friends, if you are struggling with envy, fight for faith in the coming days. Get up in the morning, read God's Word, pray to Him, thank Him for what you have. And ask Him for opportunities to serve rather than to be consumed by opportunities to acquire. And ask yourself if your desires and habits are reflecting a life that's focused upon and treasuring the things of eternity or am I building my own kingdom day after day? Because if you are doing that latter, you will never be satisfied. And if you're struggling with jealousy, the question is, what do you do when you feel your security threatened and whose glory are you fighting for? Do you believe that God is your vindicator? Do you believe that your identity in life is secure in Christ? Remember that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And in that moment that you are feeling jealous, just like for envy, fight for faith. Faith that God is for you and not against you. God declares in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that God loves you and wants the best for you, then how can you trust Him for anything else? The greatest proof that God truly does love you is the fact that He sent His Son. And the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4.16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us, that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Are you abiding in the Lord? If He is your Lord, then jealousy cannot rule over you. Deny yourself. Begin following Him fully in the areas of your life that you find yourself failing. I mean, every area of life, but especially those areas where you find yourself failing and being prey and susceptible to jealousy. Don't let anything that you possess, even a relationship, become so central to your identity and security that it ends up becoming an idol and replacing God. Give the Lord His rightful place in your life. Slay that two-headed monster of envy and jealousy. And the result is God will give you a profound satisfaction, an abiding contentment, and a deep joy. Let's pray. Father, You are the, the God who provides us what we need. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You have promised to go before us as our vindicator. Vengeance is Yours, not ours. 
And Lord, You've said that You desire that we should turn to You in those times when we feel out of control. Perhaps when it comes to to feeling jealous and we can't control the things that we possess or believe that we possess. Lord, help us to abide in You, to know our security, identity, or are secure and, and firm if we are Your child. Help us not to envy after things that, that we have turned into needs, but rather help us to be content and, and humble, to serve, to love others as we love ourselves, and, and to know that You will provide us with prosperity and, and times of humble means as Paul but we will learn to be content in all circumstances. I pray for these things for us, Lord, so that we will not be consumed by these dangerous things that rot the bones and crush others. Father, I pray for joy. In Jesus' name, amen.